0: to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. You're listening to a new Living and Breathing Technology Podcast. You're about to join Amina Agarwal as she captures and shares unedited stories of tech professionals as they reflect on the past, foresee the future, and discuss what they would like to change for a better tomorrow. Knowledge is power, now more than ever.
1: Yora everyone, it's nice to be here and welcome to Living and Breathing Technology, where we'll we'll be talking about everything but tech. So everything non-tech. And with me today I have mom of Little Girl Jones, who will be introducing herself and will be talking about her journey into cybersecurity and how she fell in love. About talking to people in tech talks, in conferences, and her love for tech. She's also known as the security um, witch. She wears different hats, Uh, but yes, let's hear from Jess Dodson. And I'm so excited to have her on this show. So let's hear from you, Jess. Um, Tell me about yourself, and where do you come from? Where do you live right now? Thank you so much for having me. So, yes, as Amina said, my name is Jess Dodson. I
2: I am security witched. I'm also known online quite prolifically as Girl Germs, hence the reason I am the mum to Little Girl Germs. I am based in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia, born, raised, lived, uh, never moved, done a lot of traveling, but um, my family is all here. So staying here and staying sort of close to the family circle is really important to me.
1: Oh, that's amazing. And every time I speak to you, I think about Brisbane and all its temperatures when it's hot, it's hot, when it's cold, it's very cold. Is, <sighs> that, is that true? <laughs> oh yeah yeah I woke up
2: this morning to my phone telling me that it was a, a a lovely 3.1 degrees which I was very impressed with hence the reason I stayed in bed for an extra hour or so <laughs> so yes very very chilly today our houses are much are, are built much more for keeping cool in than keeping hot in
1: <laughs> oh that's amazing and I can see so many so many things behind you which is the lego sets and your love for lego but we'll talk about it in some time but before that i am quite influenced by you and how you uh, you know talk with so much confidence and you shower so much of inspiration around you so uh, while growing up uh, who was the who was the one who who could influence you or the role model for you while growing up So, for me,
2: it was probably my dad. So, my dad was, and he's going to hate me using this term, but he was a a systems analyst or systems engineer. Um, And so, we've always had computers. Like, I can't remember a time in my entire nearly 40 years of life where we haven't had a computer in our house, dating all the way back to the early 80s. So, Tech has always been around me. I've always been supported and encouraged to play with tech. So probably my dad, which is very corny, but I'm sure he'll appreciate it.
1: Yes, and I do remember me, myself, struggling to work on the computer. Back in those days, we had just the black screen with those DOS prompt and working with those and that... um, if there was some adware or some pop-up windows, we would like take out wires from our computers. So that's how I learned about computers. And it was, (laughs) virus was not learned, was not much known about about back in those days. Um, And we we have more exposure to that now. But yeah, it's great to know. And growing up, my mother was was the person whom I looked up to. but yes, because she was the one amongst the amongst the you know men around her who would climb the tank, um, the tanks, oil oil tankers, and could inspect the oil levels and things like that. And I could see I could see her like just one woman around men, and that's how I got inspired that I can also grow into cybersecurity. Um, doesn't matter that it's filled with men or women or any other folks but we should be there we should we should be welcomed there so definitely tell us tell us a little bit about your first paid job like what was it <laughs>
2: so i did not start off in tech uh like pretty much all teenagers i i was a hospo person so i started off at my local mcdonald's um, being a burger flipper and and a counter person, um, I was probably there for about five ish years or so. Um, so that was during high school and and sort of as a just as I finished high school as well.
1: Nice. <clears throat> no, that's great um, that you were. So that was your first paid job, right? Yes, that
2: was the very my my very first cash cash being given to me that I could then spend um, that wasn't from parents and and my first introduction to a workplace. So um, uh, working around colleagues, having a manager, time sheeting, all that kind of stuff. So, um, And I think it's a really good way for people to get introduced. Like I think for kids starting off in hospitality, like let's be honest, When it comes to dealing with customers, you're never going to find a better place to start because you're always going to have awful customers when you work in
1: hospitality. So if you can stick it out in hospitality, you can stick it out anywhere. Anywhere. Yes, that's (laughs) true. And when I talk about being a banker, that I was a banker around 10 years ago, I can't imagine working with customers and the cash and all of opening (laughs) accounts and doing sales and all of that. So... (laughs) It's, you kind of look back and go, how did yeah, I do that? that. <laughs> That's true. So how did you fell into technology? Like how did you transition um, in uh, tech?
2: So mine was an interesting one. So I didn't do fantastically well at high school. Um, I, I was aiming to do better than I did. I 100% blame Diablo 2 for my not doing so well. And we can talk about video games in a bit. Um, but when I finished high school, I worked full-time at McDonald's for about six months or so um, and then went, this is not for me. So I decided to go off and go to TAFE instead. So that's a, a technical college. Mm-hmm. Um here in Australia. So I did TAFE for about 18 months and I did a cert four in network management and a diploma in network engineering. And from that, I met someone. So I became friends with a lot of the people who were studying with me. And one of the ladies that I was studying with worked at University of Queensland and she knew of a casual position that was opening up at University of Queensland and recommended me for it. And I got that job. So I started off Part-time, I started off two days a week and then three days a week, and then I was still casual five days a week, and then someone in the team left, and so a permanent position became available, so I applied for that. So after about a year or so of working casually for them, I ended up going full-time, and that's how it all started.
1: That's great, and that's a lot, like... That's a lot of learning. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Very much hit the ground (laughs) running. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Because back when I think about networking and learning about systems, um, it Felt to me another world because I felt that that's a man's man's job. We we don't exist there. Um, most of the women back in India, we always think that we would be better off in back admin sort of roles and not these system operations or networking sort of roles. And it's only when I came to New Zealand, I got to know about cybersecurity, system engineering, system administration, and all of those. Um, but yeah, it's great to learn about that. How you fell into technology and you learned so much. So, what do you do now? What is the role? Entailed? So we've kind
2: of we've kind of moved quite quite away now. So that was. About 20-ish odd years ago that I started in tech, sort of started down the tech journey and started studying and everything. So I now work for Microsoft um, as a senior customer engineer in cybersecurity. Um, So I started help desk person, moved into system administration, moved into doing identity administration, and then moved across into cybersecurity because cybersecurity and identity are are so intertwined. So my role, my role is a really cool role. I love my job. Um, so I help organizations and their staff. So SecOps people, uh, sysadmins, operations staff, help desk service delivery, developers even um, understand their security a bit better, understand security as a whole better, and help them implement Microsoft security products. So I do a lot of work with a lot of work with things like Microsoft Sentinel and Azure AD and, and things like that so that's that's my job in a nutshell.
1: That's great and what do you don't do Jess with Microsoft? <laughs> <laughs> Uh,
2: And that's probably one of the biggest things. So, like, when you come into an organization, you're like, I work for Microsoft, They're like, I want to ask you about this thing, and you're like, I have absolutely no idea. So I am very, very deep in certain things and know nothing about everything else. So, yes, if you're having problems with exchange online, I'm really sorry, definitely not my area of expertise.
1: (laughs) Yes, no, Microsoft is a big company, lots of different products, lots of different services. So every time you have something new coming up, That's definitely there. So while you were transitioning from, you know, into tech, from your um, non-tech role to into tech, into Microsoft then, and then are there any challenges that you faced while transitioning and what sort of challenges were there? Lots. So probably the
2: biggest issue I had. So when I first started, I was quite young. So I was 19 when I first started working in tech. And I think the biggest issue that I faced was being taken seriously. Um, so particularly people who were much older than me or had been working in tech for longer than me, um, I felt, as, especially as a young woman, that I wasn't taken seriously, that my advice or my recommendations weren't listened to, that I had to... I had to run them through somebody else or I had to justify everything. I almost had to prove myself constantly. Um, Now that I've been doing this for quite a while, uh, I I don't think it's that much of an issue. Also the fact that I'm a fair bit older now, (laughs) I think it it kind of helps a little bit, Um, but it does. It it makes me worry a little bit for the younger women who are coming in. I think it is getting better, um, but but I know that that being taken seriously and having to prove your worth consistently and having to almost prove that you know your stuff um, versus the guys that you're working with who (laughs) don't seem to face that same pushback consistently.
1: Yeah, no, we are always uh, have to, you know, prove our self-worth as compared to our male counterparts. They are They are God gifted as people say, (laughs) you know, tech means men and non-tech means women. And so we need to prove ourselves. So what is the, you know, some of the few things that you could do in order to be a woman uh, in order to become a smart ass uh, while working in tech and as a woman? (laughs) So for me, I think a lot of it is backing yourself. So
2: not backing down, I'm I'm stubborn. I'm a horrible, stubborn, opinionated person and I won't back down from a fight. So if I'm like, no, I know what I'm saying here. I 100% believe that what I am saying is right. I'm not going to give up without a fight. Um, the other thing as well, I think, is having a really supportive team and a supportive management. Like if you've got a team who are consistently backing you up or are... P- pointing to you and going, no, don't come to me, don't ask me these questions, you've already spoken to Jess or you've already spoken to Amina, they've told you what you need to do or they've given you their recommendations, you need to listen to them. That really helps and having that support is, is what makes all the difference.
1: Yeah, and I agree because you need to have that support from your direct manager or manager around you, someone who is supportive and who says that, you know, if you've heard this and she's guided you, you need to you need to go that direction. You need to find that way. But again, um, what is the toughest part of your role right now? And I, I, I
2: love this question because for me, the tech is the easy part. The tech's the fun part, but it's also the easiest part. Um, For me, it's always the people. So working in security, I find you're constantly coming up against, in some cases, some very difficult personalities. Um, But I'm also finding that siloing is becoming a really big issue. So teams that are segregating themselves off and doing empire building, that to me is probably one of my biggest issues, is is trying to bring people together. You're all working for the same organisation. You're all working towards the same goal. We need to work together. We're not not supposed to be adversarial. Um, And I think probably from my perspective, the biggest challenge I face in my role is that I'm often going into customers that I've never met before. So it's building that Rapport really, really quickly, and I think for me, that's uh, I can I can do that quite quickly. Usually, um, I think when you come in, particularly as someone from Microsoft, they're like, "Oh, it's a Microsoft person. It's it's the, the, the an SME, and we need to we need to listen." I'm, then- I'm not that kind of person. Um, I I don't like to be the smartest person in the room, and I know that particularly when I'm going into an organisation, the people I'm dealing with know so much about the organisation they're working in. So I want to learn from them as well. So I often find that humanising myself in a way of I make mistakes, I don't know everything, saying I don't know or saying that their ideas are going to be just as if not more beneficial than mine, I think that really, really helps. And also humour. I always find that throwing humour in there helps as well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, that's, that's completely right. And, you know, I always go by this that, you know, in tech jobs, um, speaking non tech language is so important being having that human element wherein you are speaking that human language, that normal language makes more um makes it easy to make connections at the workplace as well as with your customers because when you're not using those different terms technical terms and listening to the customers more you solve more problems because you give an opportunity where you are actively listening to their problems instead of providing the solutions that you think you can but their problems could be different so absolutely yeah and
2: every organization is different there is and that's i think the biggest thing that I've learned in my role, there is no one-size-fits-all. Like we have best practice and we have guides and um, uh, all of that kind of stuff, but there isn't a one-size-fits-all. It very much depends on the organisation, the size, the security posture, their risk appetite as to what they want to do and what they want to implement. So if you're not listening and engaging the people you're working with and understanding the organisation and the non-tech side, you're going to miss so much of it.
1: Yeah, no, that's right. And just, just coming back to the, some of the points that you just said about uh, women not, taking, ta- not taken so seriously um, in their jobs. If, uh, you know, there is a problem or there is an issue and you need to get your work done in, in your team, what is the best approach? How do you get the team to support that idea?
2: From my perspective, when I'm trying to get someone to support my idea, I will usually phrase it in a, I have this idea, what does everyone else think? Is there a way to make this idea better? Is there something that I haven't thought about? Is there something that I have missed? Because there likely is. And I think coming up with an idea by itself isn't necessarily um going to be beneficial you want multiple viewpoints to come in on that idea or 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 come in on the recommendation be able to give you input into what you may not have seen or what you may have missed or what you may not have even thought about um and when I'm with a customer that's how I tend to work with my customers as well like it's it's not a one way street of me saying you should do this it's i've noticed this in your organization. This is what I think we should do. Is that going to be an issue? Is there a political blocker? Is there a technology blocker? Is there something that I haven't thought of that would prevent you from doing that? So, it's, it's definitely not a one-way street. It's a two-way conversation.
1: That's true. And I always thought that, you know, um, when you have a different idea and you Want to get the buy in from everyone, you need to come to a common conclusion, but th- that's not right. You don't need to come to a common conclusion. You can have your own viewpoint on it, and how you put in the facts and the figures in place in order to get that buy in correctly rather than just get to the you know common grounds, as you say definitely
2: yeah so and um I think the big one there as well is. Uh, you can agree to disagree. I am very much an agree to disagree kind of person. There are many, many cases where I'm like, if that's the way you want to go, that's fine. That's your decision. I disagree with you, but that's that, my position.
1: And right. <laughs> <laughs> well said. That's, that's right. And um, so um, lots of talks about tech, lots of talk about teams and how should we work with teams, but then what do you do outside of tech? What, what do you enjoy doing? <laughs> <laughs> Lots of things.
2: Lots of things. When I can, can find see the time. that in your background. <laughs> when I can find the time. So I am an avid gamer. So I play way too many video games. Uh, probably too many video games. Um, so I'm a Blizzard tragic. So I play, I've been playing World of Warcraft on and off now for, we're coming up to 17 years. <laughs> Actually, no, we passed 17 years in May. That's really... Sad to say that out loud. Um, and I play a lot of Diablo. As I mentioned, Diablo 2 is 100% the reason that I, I bombed in high school because I was playing that way too much. So I'm, I'm eagerly looking forward to Diablo 4 coming out. Um, I'm also recently, and this is a, a new thing that's just come into my life, I've become a, a VR um, addict. Um, cool. So I got myself a virtual reality headset and I've been playing VR games pretty much all week. week until like one or two in the morning which i'm not sure is great for my sleep pattern um so at the moment my big ones are are rhythm games. so things like beat saber and um synth riders are the two that i've been playing a lot of um because back in my early gaming days i was a guitar hero addict so it's it's very very similar just with a lot more movement and you sweat a lot more Mm -hmm. Um, I read a lot, so a lot of sci-fi and fantasy, um, and that's the same with like my, my TV and movie choices. So I'm a, a, a Marvel tragic as well, so I watch all the TV shows, watch all the movies as soon as they come out. Um, yeah. And as you can see, obviously, I am an Amazing. adult fan of Lego, <laughs> lots of Lego. <laughs> if I can spend money on Lego, I will.
1: <laughs> What's the most expensive Lego that, you've, that you got or the most <gasps> precious one that you've got?
2: See, now that's a really hard, hard question. So I have a couple. Um, so I have my most expensive set is my UCS Millennium Falcon, which is massive. It is literally the size of a table. Um, wow. That will be beaten hopefully later this year by a UCS um, at from Star Wars, which I'm hoping to purchase later this year. Um, my favourite set would probably be um, the Lego Piano so the piano came out earlier i think it was late last year um and the piano it's a beautiful set it plays it connects via bluetooth to your phone and you can actually play it it is an a stunning set and my favorite of the builds that i've
1: done oh wow i would love to see that and it's on (laughs) instagram so anyone who'd like to see um jess lego land They can go (laughs) on Instagram and search for all the Lego, Lego beauties.
2: Way too much. Way too much. I really need to do another refresh because there's been a few more pieces. You can actually see over here, I have another set waiting in a box for me to build. So that'll be this weekend.
1: Yeah. And you also (laughs) love making metal jewelry. So tell us a bit about that as well. So... Um, a friend of
2: mine on Twitter, I have so many friends that I found through Twitter, never let anyone tell you that internet friends aren't true friends. So most of my best friends I've, I've got from Twitter. So yeah. um, she has um, posted a lot about her chainmail. Building and I asked about it because I was really interested. She'd made me a couple of pieces, and I'm like, "This is something that I'd really love to be able to do myself." I do a lot of crafting as well, so I thought this is something that I could I could really get into. So um, she sent me a link off to a website that sells uh, kits. So start off as a beginner kit, um, and I started making chainmail pieces. So I I, I make chainmail jewelry to keep my my hands busy. So I make all sorts of cool things. So. Um, actually as an example, this is, this is one of my, my recent pieces. So this yeah. is my little plushy octopus made out of chain mail. So she's a cutie. She sits on my yes. desk.
1: Yes. Um, and I loved all your pieces by the way. And I wanted to know where did you get all those pieces from? So, um, a
2: website here in Australia called Aussie Mail, um, is responsible for all of the kits that I have purchased, um, and that I make. So I buy not just the kits, so you can buy the kits, you can buy the plans as well. I buy then the extra pieces to be able to, to make them. So, um, yeah, that's, that's where I get all of my stuff from. It's, A great site. They do end of year, I get very excited. They do an advent calendar, a kit advent calendar. A little bit expensive, um, but it means that you get to build a new chainmail piece every day um, during December leading up to Christmas. Favourite time of the year. It's amazing. Wow.
1: You should share (laughs) it with everyone if you would. I would. I would love to have a look at those and my daughter would love to make some chain pieces like that as well. So fun. Yeah, it is for sure. So, tell me a little bit about girl gems. How did you find out this 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 word, girl gems? And I, I know when we spoke, you said it's not girl gems; it's girl Ge- gems. I said, who would who would pick this? <laughs> so there is a story behind
2: it so i do actually have and i will have to go hunting for you for the post so i have done a blog post on it but there is a blog post that links back to where girl germs came about so when i first started in tech um, and i first started at university of queensland i was the only girl in the team but i was also the newbie and so the team that i was in they wanted me to have some access to be able to do things inside their active directory environment but they didn't want to give me too much that I could cause problems or do damage Um, but I still needed to be sort of in the IT area so they created uh an OU an organizational unit for me called girl gems and that's where my account was and I kind of ran with the name because I'm like fine girl gems that's where I'm going to be that's what I've got so Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of a play on the whole cuties or or, oh you've got girl gems kind of Mm -hmm. thing but it was it was done in a very playful way I I I I think it's it's rather hilarious so yeah I've stuck with that one now for nearly 20 years
1: (laughs) and that's surprising as well that they didn't do it intentionally it was (laughs) just meant to happen (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, it was just it was just completely random and out of the blue. So yes, I do credit um, uh, my one of my first colleagues for giving me my my online handle.
1: Yeah, that's that's right. Um, that's very creative as well. And I know that you do a lot of other things as well, like talking at webinars, conferences, blogs, and so many creative hobbies that you have. How do you juggle between all of these different things? Um, Organizational skills.
2: So, you've got to be pretty, pretty organized. I find that being a mum helps. Like when you're a mum, you tend to be relatively organized. You have to be. Um, I also find that my OCD, my properly officially diagnosed OCD as well, by the way, it's not just a, a joke or a, a flippant remark, but my OCD does help. So, I I am very strict in the way that I schedule my time. I wanted to make sure that I have my calendar really well controlled. So I have a personal calendar and a work calendar. They are both very, very precise. Um, But probably one of the worst things is is that I am scheduled well in advance. So if you've ever received a, a professional email from me at my uh microsoft address you will have noticed in the signature down the bottom that it actually gives you my availability and at the moment i think my next availability for work isn't until like september um just because i'm I, i things get scheduled so far in advance because um it makes it easier for me to be able to structure my life, structure holidays, structure when I'm going to be able to fit things in, structure conferences and talks. So yes, a lot of organizational structuring and really good calendaring and a very big
1: one (laughs) note. super managed super woman who's yes super managed well yes. organized not only at work but also at home with oh, a yeah. calendar oh yes yes home calendar yeah, I need to learn gets
2: invited to things so he knows when stuff's happening there's a to-do list that everyone's in the family's part of it's yeah if I if I didn't have that I'd go insane I have to try and keep it in here I can't do that <laughs>
1: Well, yes, uh, you are on demand always at work and at home for sure with all of those creative activities <laughs> oh, yes. that I can see with your oh, yes. little girl germs as well. So I can see <laughs> that coming. <laughs> uh, oh, yes. Um, um, so let's talk about your communication. So when you're delivering your talks, how do you prepare for your talks? Do you practice? And is it something that you're passionate about or just happened? So this is a fun one
2: again. So me give, getting up and giving a talk came about because I was very very cheap and poor. So I worked for government, didn't have a lot of money. And I wanted to be able to attend TechEd um so the Microsoft conference here in Australia in 2015. So I reached out to again another friend of mine on Twitter and said hey, I know you work for Microsoft, I, I, I want to go to the conference, any chance I could get a ticket? And he's like, yeah, absolutely, I can 100% get you a free ticket. And I'm like, yes, and he's like, the only catch is that you you have to give a talk. I'm like, sure, and then I'm like, oh crap, what have I agreed to? So it was, it was very much a spur of the moment, yeah, 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 sure, I'll be able to do that. So um, I had been blogging for a while at that point. So I'd been writing blogs on on things for a couple of years and one of the blog posts that I wrote was called Writing the Right Rights and it was all around Active Directory security and maintenance. So he suggested doing a talk on that, so I did. So I built this talk and gave that. So my very first time ever speaking in public, 100% trial by fire, was at a big conference. Definitely would not recommend, particularly if you're the kind of person who has anxiety or suffers from stress because it will go through the roof because that's quite a, that that's definitely jumping in the deep end when it comes to giving talks. Um, yeah. But it was the best thing that I ever did. I absolutely loved it. It was something I'm very proud of to this day. It was the third highest rated talk of that conference. Um, so well attended. Everyone loved it. I actually got to deliver that talk. Again, over in New Zealand, I was invited to go over and deliver that over in New Zealand at TechEd or Ignite, as it was then, over in New Zealand, which was amazing. Um, and that's how it got started. You kind of get addicted to giving talks. You get addicted to that adrenaline and that also that anxiety and stress that leads up to it. So, yeah, it, it very much it very much is a, a once you start, you can't stop.
1: Yeah, no, that's right, and. When we got connected and I was looking at your videos on YouTube from Microsoft Ignite and all of these conferences and I was like going, oh, she has so much confidence and oomph in her talk. Like, can I talk like that? <laughs> can I go and present in front of all these people and say 100%. all of
2: these- <laughs> 100% anyone can. And I think, I think if you want to give the talk, go and do it. You can 100% do it
1: yes and my talk is just nearby i'm doing it in person for the very first time on friday next week so oh That's so excited! <laughs>
0: That's
1: amazing yes, and i'm excited um uh, All these nights I've been thinking about it. What would be it like? Uh, What are the few things that I'll be talking in just five to seven minutes? What are the main points? But we'll talk about it as well. Uh, I don't want to disclose much of that information in here. Don't spoil it. Yes. Don't spoil it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So uh, just coming back to Jess. So. Tell me more about your blog. So you mentioned that you have these diverse disorders, you know, anxiety and mental health. Tell us a little bit about your journey to recovery and how how did you feel any time that you were writing in your blog, you felt vulnerable by opening yourself and about your health? 100% vulnerable. So I've, I've
2: done a number of posts around anxiety. Um, I've done a post about my postnatal depression after I had my daughter um, and a post about being diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. So uh, recovery is an interesting one. Uh, I don't think with any of my current illnesses you, you really recover. You kind of live with them and learn to live with them and learn to manage them. So I think... For my mental health, so my mental health, it's. I think I've always suffered from mental health issues from when I was a teenager. It just wasn't something that I was formally diagnosed with until I hit. I literally had like a proper semi midlife crisis. I hit thirty and the world fell apart. So I, I've got a, a post about that um, and and becoming diagnosed with um, anxiety and panic disorder and OCD that that all came ap- came part when. I turned 30. um, And I I did feel very vulnerable writing those posts. uh, But at the same time, one of the issues that I had is that I, I didn't think people were speaking about it enough. I didn't think people were putting their hands up and going, hey, I function in society, I can hold a job, I can have a family. But by the way, I also have this as well. And I think it's something that is really important and then when I had my daughter and I was diagnosed with postnatal depression I think that's something as well it's it's one of those shameful things that not a lot of people talk about that that's seen as you've just had a baby. You should be happy. Why Why aren't you happy? And I think getting that out in the open and saying, look, this isn't, it's not your fault. This is your brain. It is the chemicals in your brain. And if you were sick with something else, if you were sick with uh, appendicitis, or if you were sick with um, a, a viral condition, you would take something for it in order to make yourself feel better. And the same goes with mental health. So I am more than happy to admit that I take medication for my anxiety and my depression Uh, i can't really call it postnatal depression anymore (laughs) she's four we're we're well out of the pnd phase now Um, covid certainly did make things worse for my mental health so my medication dose did actually get upped during covid just because the stress and anxiety did become quite bad so because i suffer from rheumatoid arthritis i take other medications uh, that leave me immunosuppressed So COVID for me was a real worry. It was a real concern to, particularly back in the early days when it was quite scary and it was doing a number on people and people were dying at a considerable rate. It was very, very concerning for me and worrying. I didn't. Want to catch it, and I was far more yeah. susceptible to getting it because of the medications that I was on. So, unfortunately, rheumatoid arthritis is is one of those lovely autoimmune conditions. I, I, I'm i stuck with it for life. Thank you, Dad. Um, it's his genes that very kindly passed that one on to me. Uh, it is hereditary. It, it runs in our family, um, and so I. It's taken a good four to five years to find uh, a good medication path. So at the moment, I am. I want to say it's remission, but it's not really. I I continually have to take medication, but I don't suffer from what's known as flares. So flares are what we call an incident that affects one of my joints. So rheumatoid arthritis and the the version that I have is called um, asymmetrical rheumatoid arthritis, and it affects different joints in my body at random times, Um, usually for a period of about 24 to 72 hours, and that joint is pretty much Unusable In someone who's got symmetrical rheumatoid arthritis, it usually affects the major joints. So things like ankles, knees, um, shoulders, elbows, wrists. In me, because mine's asymmetrical, it can affect any joint it wants to. So probably the worst one that I've ever had was one side of my jaw. So it affected the yeah. joint in my jaw to the point that I couldn't open my mouth. So I had to do everything through a straw and I couldn't talk for about three days. So yeah. my medication prevents that, <laughs> yeah. which is great. And I, I like not being in pain. It's really good.
1: <laughs> and I absolutely give you credit for that, Jess, that you are saying all of this with a big smile on your face while... Um, if you look at me if something happens to me i have a cry face i'm 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 i just don't like talking to anyone about um, it like i was the same when i first got diagnosed but at the same time i'm
2: like look this is the hand i've been dealt i can either laugh about it or cry about it if i laugh about it it's far more hilarious so i i tend to find a lot of my stuff i try to, i try to find the silver lining. I mean, I, I joke a lot about being cynical and sarcastic, but I am 100% a perpetual optimist. I will try and find the best in everything. Um, and so, when it comes to my mental health, that's why I see my OCD as more of a blessing than a curse. And my OCD came about because of my anxiety. So, there's, there's benefits to everything.
1: So, When we talk about mental health or any health disorders, what is the sort of support system one can have around them that could help them recover faster from it or can help them accept the fact that they are going through all of these things but they have different responsibilities that they have to work on?
2: It really does come down to having
1: uh, a supportive group of
2: friends and family. Um, and when it comes to your job, supportive team, and supportive management. So one of the things and one of the reasons why I am so open about everything that I have is so that the people I work with and my management is very well aware. So um, a really good example of that, I recently reached out to one of the people in my management chain um, to mention that some recent communication around organizational changes that are, are coming up was really causing me some anxiety. And I just needed to have a speak to someone to set my mind at ease to to make sure that I I wasn't going to be stressing for the next however many weeks until everything is finalized. Um, and they my my management is so supportive. I am so very lucky to have people who are accepting of me and accepting of the way that I work and the way that my head works um, and we're willing to have those conversations and I think that that's what makes a proper inclusive and diverse workforce that you are willing to work with people no matter what so when we talk diversity and inclusion we're not just talking about um having women in tech or um uh lgbtqia um in tech it's it's everything it includes disability it includes health conditions and it includes for me those invisible conditions that unless I speak about it
1: you wouldn't know yeah no that's right and we often feel guilty of asking so much so much that we we don't ask anymore that's because Either we are having these mental issues, either we are having these health issues, and then this, on top of that, imposter syndrome comes in and we are feeling that we are not well enough um, to do certain tasks or certain duty or certain role uh, in an organization. So it can be very daunting uh, to go through all of that, but we need to have that inclusive environment where we are heard, we are supported enough to be ourselves at any of the workplaces.
2: And that comes from management. So management need to represent that and step up to that. So they need to be the ones who are like, I'm letting you know, this is is what's happening with me or um, I have a family, these are my hours and I'm happy to share that with you because it then makes it okay for others. And I think that's the big thing. It's that representation matters. You can't be what you can't see.
1: Yes, no, that's right. Um, And I love that part. You can't be what you can't see or I can't see me. So one of my managers said this line, I can't see myself. If I can't see myself there, so I can't be there. (laughs) Um, Exactly. Yeah. So just coming back to some of the women do go through all of this. Not, Not only women, maybe all genders they all go through mental health or health issues and it finally gets into converts into microaggressions sometimes because you don't feel welcomed you don't feel supported and i loved your talk um on one of these uh, on one of these uh, you know topics called thousand paper cuts so tell us a little bit more about it and for anyone who doesn't know i'll put the link inside but tell us a little bit about thousand paper cuts so,
2: a thousand paper cuts was a hashtag that I put out would have been in middle of twenty eighteen I think, and it was something that I noticed in some of the work that i was I was doing um that I was noticing it's just little things, like little small things that might just be seen as as a slight or, or might even be brushed aside as a joke so things like um, uh, constantly being asked to take the notes in a meeting or um, consistently being asked to be the the social organizer for the team or being confused as being the secretary so as a woman in tech I found these small things like they they seem small but over time they they really add up which is how i came up with the thousand paper cuts it's it's these really small little microaggressions and slights that over time wear you down and cause you to bleed out because you are just so done and so tired and often they're not even small so i put out a tweet um in 2018 asking for women in IT to share their anecdotes of what it is like to be a woman in this industry and um, particularly to highlight to the men in the industry um, what behaviour we experience because they seem to think that sexist behaviour was the exception and not the rule and that women weren't all experiencing this or, or weren't having to deal with this regularly. And I'm like... That, that isn't the case. Every single woman in tech has had to deal with this at some point. Um, and when I put that out, I didn't expect it to go as viral as it did, but the number of responses that I got back were absolutely mind-blowing and some of the stories I got back were horrifying. So they, they did range from those really small ones about note-taking and, and being the secretary all the way up to rape and sexual assault so it it was a very broad range of topics covered from women in the industry and so as part of that i wanted to give a talk on it and showcase not only what women are experiencing so men could see it men could understand that this is something that we experience that it's it's not a one-off that when we say that something isn't just a joke or that something makes us uncomfortable there is a reason that we are saying that it's not just because we're precious or we're snowflakes um it's it's that this is yet one more slight against us that's just piling onto a whole range of things that we've had to experience in our careers within tech. Um, and then on top of that, because I'm, I'm not one to just whinge and moan about stuff, I wanted to say, if this is what we're experiencing, how do we then fix it? What do yeah. we need to do to
1: change that? Yeah. That's true. And, um, you know, we often, when we get started into any of the industries. People say this that you know you got this job just because, just because you are this, just because you are that, just because you know. Uh, I had and that. that I had that with <laughs> coming into Microsoft.
2: Someone that I previously worked with in my last role said that the only reason that I got this role is because I am a woman. And as much as as much as you know your stuff, as much as you know that that's not the case, those comments they still that they're, they're the little black voice in the back of your head the black cloud that sits there that says no yeah. we're going to rain on your parade That's and we're going to dampen dampen your enjoyment and i i i hate I hate the fact that those kind of things can still affect us, that even though we know that we are better than that and that we weren't brought into a position because of that or we weren't given an opportunity to speak because of our gender or because of our um, diversity in other areas, um, that it it still bites at us. It still eats at us.
1: That's true. And... <clears throat> it's hard to actually fix it, you know, um, just we can talk about it for so long. We can, um, we can say different things. We can talk about it in the conferences. But what do you think can we actually do instead of being reactive? How can we proactively fix these things? Okay,
2: so I I came up with a whole range of different things and that was from research that's been done um, and I've already started helping put some of it in place in my current workplace. So a couple of the things, number one is starting young. So talking like even like my daughter's age, she's four. So not using gendered things of... Um, to be uh, talking about doctors as he, you're talking about engineers as he, talking about nurses and teachers as she, because that gendered language is what embeds itself into the psyche of our kids and makes them think doctors are always referred to as he. I can't be a doctor because they are he if it's he. a girl. Same with nurses, teachers. A teacher doesn't have to be a woman, a teacher can be a man, and it's the same thing. Um, and I find even in kids my daughter's age, it's really prevalent in a lot of the things that they are exposed to, so trying to help change that. Um women supporting one another i am a huge proponent of women supporting one another so previously it's very much been this stamping down there can be only one woman um and and so if there can only be one then it's going to be me so i'm going to backstab the other women or i'm going to say nasty things or prevent them from doing what they need to do in order to achieve the same level as me that i no we are much stronger together and we need to help one another when it comes to getting more women into the industry. So, um, I think supporting other women, finding opportunities for other women, lifting other women up with you, giving them opportunities um, if it's something that, that does interest you so that others can be brought in and be lifted up. So, it's not just all about you.
1: Um, That's so true. And I love that one. I lo- yeah and that's so true. Finding your own tribe and advocating for as many people as you can around you. be supportive, be humble, be kind um we We need everyone to be together and support each other instead of dragging everyone down with their leg and yeah same thing. So we need everyone to support each other actually um not only women supporting women but allies, women. People from different backgrounds. We need all of you to support each other. We need you to. We need all the different voices. Voices, yes. Um, And and I think that's probably one of the big ones
2: is around that recognizing your own privilege, um, because and and I realize that it it comes off as as very sort of lefty and woke, um, and I know that that's used in very sort of derogatory terms. But I I am very aware of the privilege that I hold at the moment I am white I am very uh, middle class I come from a very privileged background of um, being in a Western country so I while being a woman might be seen as being a minority in my area everything else is for me so if there are things that I can do to help others who aren't as fortunate as me it is it is my duty to do that. It is my responsibility to help them and lift them up and give them as much of an advantage as I can to help bring them in. Because again, it's those diverse voices that we need in order to make things better.
1: That's true. Absolutely true. And so as we're talking about uplifting each other and empowering each other, I I know and I've been reading your blog about um, you know being an extrovert and also being an introvert so what is an extroverted introvertness or what is introverted extrovertness <laughs> and i believe that you're so confident so badass with whatever <laughs> you do so what's the what's the magic here and i think that's an interesting one so when we talk about sort of being humble
2: and everything like that um i think one of the downsides to being a woman is that, and, and I, I think it applies to pretty much everyone in tech, it's not just a woman, a, a women's issue. It is also a, an issue with most tech people is that introversion and that we are not very good at selling ourselves. We are awful at it. Um, and so learning to recognise your strengths and learning to recognise when you have done something good and speaking up for yourself and being proud for what you've achieved and and of what you've done because you should be i mean don't go to the point where you are arrogant but be proud of what you've done um because it it is an achievement. It is a milestone. You should be proud. You should celebrate it. So, um, and on the flip side to that, give credit to people that you know have done amazing work. There is nothing more uplifting than being able to say to someone, Hey, I saw you did this. That was amazing. You did so well. It, it means so much coming from your peers. Um, and so I think, I think that kind of, helps bring out that extrovert in a lot of us introverts. Um, I consider myself to be an ambivert, so I kind of sit in the middle so I can be extroverted when I need to be, but I need recharge time. I love so if, that I go to, <laughs> if i if I if I go to a conference, so I went to cert back in May. So I was at Auscert from uh, Wednesday through to Friday. I needed a whole weekend of not speaking to people. <laughs> I just needed to be by myself. Not even I, I, I even made my family leave me alone. I just needed alone time to recharge, and there is nothing wrong with that at all. Um, and I think, particularly for those of us who are kind of more in that middle ground, that recharge time is really important.
1: Yes, and I can't say enough that how much is it required for for us. And I've been feeling this burnout. Um, for so long last year that I had to recharge. I had to take time off and just close out on all of the things, my, my phone, my emails, my everything. So that's, that's good. Um, so moving on, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, being a perfectionist feeling and then having this imposter syndrome and you know i miss being at rsa conference and there's lots of great talks happening about mental health about uh, imposter syndrome how to how to recover from those but i thought during our conversation
2: <laughs> we were definitely- living vicariously through twitter at the moment it's really sad i'm like i could be
1: there but it's so far away <laughs> yes that's true and you'll be surprised to know that i have never been to any conference it will be the first time that i'll be um, going to this kawaii con which is happening in wellington <gasps> On first and second July, so. so exciting, and I'm so excited, and I wish that we could meet at RSA very soon. That would be amazing, <laughs> isn't it? Yes. So let's talk about a little bit more about imposter syndrome and how can we recover from it? Is there a way of recovery? Is there a solution to that? Um, because I see you that you talk and talk about it, can write about it, but. But how to accept that?
2: It's a hard one. So you will never escape imposter syndrome ever. It will be with you forever and ever and ever, I'm very sorry to say. I think it's it's the little voice that sits inside your head that's like, you are not good enough, you don't know your stuff. And particularly, particularly when you are in a room surrounded by people who are smarter than you, um, you will always feel like you are not the smartest in the room. Yep. and I think there are pros and cons to this. I think you you need to understand your strengths. you need to understand that, yes, you do know yourself. you wouldn't you wouldn't be here if you didn't. you wouldn't have this role or you wouldn't be doing this job if you didn't know how to do that job or be in that role. Um, but I also think that questioning ourselves and constantly striving to, find people who are smarter than ourselves to learn from can be really beneficial because it means that we are perpetually learning we're never stagnating we're always we're always thinking about what it is that we don't know and there is always something that we don't know and i think when we when we talk about imposter syndrome it's it's that that peak of you know nothing then you know a little bit, but you think you know everything and then you understand just how little you actually know about that particular topic. And I think that's learning more and more as you go along just how much you don't know is a really good thing because it means that there is always something new to learn. So play to your strengths, but
1: always continue to learn. That's so true. And I was thinking about it that what are what are the few things that we that can help us to get out of this imposter syndrome but there is no nothing that can help us uh, there's no medicine that can help us from getting rid of imposter syndrome and as you mentioned you know we need to just focus on some of our strengths and there's always a scope of improvement um just just keep at it just keep on improving just keep on learning I
2: think the, and I, I, I hate the phrase because I know that it can be very detrimental, particularly with people who don't know what they're doing, but the fake it till you make it can be really good advice because it is. Even if you don't feel confident, faking that confidence will help you build that confidence more. Um, and, like, that's how I went into giving my first talk. I was not confident in the slightest. I did not feel like I was going to be confident in giving that at all, but I'm like, I can fake this. I can do it. I'm sure I can and went off and did it. And it's it's that pushing yourself a little bit, which is why I think that fake it till you make it when it comes to imposter syndrome can work really, really well.
1: Well said. And I was about to ask you because public speaking is my passion. And when I get some speakers who are really keynote speakers or speakers like you uh, who just give a talk like... I always ask them that what's the one advice that you'd like to share for anyone like me who is starting out public speaking? Um, The two things that I would say, number one
2: would be start small. Um, I don't recommend jumping in the deep end. I mean, you can if you want to. That's 100% up to you if you want to do it that way. Um, I found that that was very, very stressful and I I felt like it was very much a a make it or break it kind of moment. Like if that didn't go well, I was never going to speak again. Whereas with smaller groups presenting in front of colleagues or presenting to user groups, it's a bit different. So you can still continue to practice and get better. Um, And I think that's the other one is that practice practice So making sure that you are practicing your talk. So when I'm looking at giving a talk, um, a piece of advice that I was given is however long the talk is, multiply that by 10 and that is the prep time you need for that talk. So if you have a 30 minute talk, you need to be giving at least five hours of prep time into creating that talk. That includes the practice, that includes creating the presentation, that includes getting it vetted by others. So making sure you're doing that. Um, and probably my other really big one is authenticity. So for me, I can't present on a topic unless I'm really passionate about it, which sucks a little bit because it, it makes it very hard for me to present someone else's content. But yeah. unless I am passionate about it, I can't fake that passion. I struggle really, really hard. So that authenticity is really key. So whatever makes you you make that shine in your presentation so all of my presentations i bring humor i bring sarcasm i will 100 percent swear in every presentation that i do because <laughs> i am awful and profane and everyone knows that so there will always be at least one swear word of some kind in my presentations mine are always littered with memes um yeah. because that's, that's that's just how i roll so Find something that works for you and bring your authenticity and your passion to your presentations.
1: And go back to basics. (laughs) Yes, yes. Watch my back to basics security talk. Talk. That is my favorite talk. (laughs) My favorite too. All your talks are my favorite talks and I'm I'm hoping that I can, um, you know, build upon that. I can do as much as you've done um, a little bit just a little bit near you <laughs> would be enough for you me. will and as i've said like as i've been talking about it in in, in this yeah. conversation with you lift others up so if you need help you just need to ask that's true. Um, it was so nice speaking to you, Jess, and thanks for all your tips. Thanks for all your suggestions and advice, and sharing your journey with us. Um, we will be signing off, but stay stay tuned. We will have lots of other talks coming on on living and breathing technology, as well as on ITSP Magazine podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was lovely.
0: Hope you enjoyed this episode of Living and Breathing Technology Podcast with Amina Agarwal. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.